Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. As I said before, a significant part of this whole issue of what it means to be a woman in 2012 was the story of Jill Ma, allegedly raped and murdered in Melbourne. I think everyone was taken aback at the community response to it. They clearly drew a line that our streets need to be better, safer than this, especially for women. The coverage of it all almost surpassed that for the AFL Grand Final, which is saying something. One man who's been doing a great deal of thinking about this is Dale Stevenson from Melbourne's Crossway Church. Why was there such a response? Does the church, for instance, still have a role when it comes to community life, community grief? And the response wasn't only on the streets, far from it. Social media played a huge role in this whole thing. So to reflect on this aspect of the wider story, Dale Stevenson joins us now from Melbourne. Dale, welcome back to Open House. Yes, g'day, Lee. How are you? Fine, thanks. Dale, my guess is you, like most people, were probably taken aback by the size and the intensity of the community response to Jill Maher's death. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, Over in Brunswick, uh, it was reported that there were about 30,000 people uh, who actually marched on the streets. And uh, outside Brunswick Baptist Church, it became a bit of a memorial site and uh, flowers just not only covered all of the footpath, but began to pour out onto the road, as did outside the store where that final um, um, uh, video footage was, uh, where she walked past on on her way home. And then the gentleman has been accused of her rape and murder, and uh, that also became a shrine. And uh, so the community response has been phenomenal. Why do you think it was so large, so deep? I think Jill ticked a, a whole lot of boxes in people's hearts. So here he was a, a, a young woman in her prime. Uh, so she was, she was 29 years old. Uh, she, uh, by all accounts, was a, a delightful person. She was attractive. Uh, she was uh, employed by the ABC. Uh, her husband presented himself very well. Uh, I think so much of who she was and what she represented touches a chord inside of people about our more noble aspirations, about that time of our lives, about what it looks like to really be flourishing in life. She'd only been married for three years. So really, it was a woman absolutely in her prime. And I think it also touched a, a real chord in, in people's hearts because of the, uh, the innocence of the nature of what she was doing. She was celebrating with friends. Everybody likes to celebrate with friends. She was just a few hundred metres from her home, and it's been reported that she sent a text message to her husband, you know, is it possible to pick me up? He didn't get the text message for various reasons. And I think that the nature of the way it all unfolded, almost everyone said, that could have been me. She represents life in its prime, and what an incredible injustice has just taken place. And it just touches a deep chord in society. And the response to it was such a spontaneous response. There's no great organisation about this. Oh, no. I heard John Fain uh, from ABC Radio with emotion-strained voice because he was part of her team. And he said, Jill would not want us to be triple-locking our doors and putting video cameras around our homes. He said, this is not the Melbourne that we live in. We must not be defined by things like this. And it's just fascinating because it becomes a defining event that, uh, that a young woman simply walking a few hundred metres uh, from, a, from a social event to her home uh, you know, it can be a defining event. And the community basically said, this will not define us. Our streets will be a safer place than this. And, and you know, we're just not going to uh, accept 
this as a new norm. The other part of this, and we've spoken about this before, is the power of social media. As I said, it played a really significant part in all of this. Absolutely. The the, the police even used it uh, to their advantage, which is absolutely fantastic, because you had had the uh, the mobilisation of the broader community. Who saw? Who heard? And all of a sudden, um, this is like crime stoppers on steroids, isn't it? Yes. uh, Everyone has the opportunity to participate who might know anything. And, and then all of a sudden we had a number of witnesses coming forward who themselves had had a negative experience in the area. And, uh, and all of a sudden the, the police, as it's reported, began to see common threads. And, uh, and that ultimately uh, led uh, to, the, uh, to the arrest and charging of, of the gentleman. How much of the response did you see as a response to something that happens to a woman and that we need to have streets and a community safer where women in particular can walk about in freedom and with a freedom from threat. When you say how much did I see, uh, a person would have to be completely disassociated from our society not to be saturated by it. It it was on uh, every piece of media, every piece of coverage. It felt like all day long for multiple days because there was that brief window of time where there was hope and, and it was hope that she'd been abducted and that she'd still be alive. And I think actually emotionally, that actually drew a lot of people in. So people participated initially. You know, it, it began kind of as a, as a search and rescue. And, uh, and then tragically, it, it unfolded uh, as, a, uh, as a murder uh, scene. And I think that in no small part, actually, also drew the community in. Uh, I found it interesting, just a few days later, a teenage boy was stabbed to death on the Mornington Peninsula. And it, it, it just was like passing news. You know, it, it, hardly, it hardly touched um, anything. It, you know, it, it got mentioned in the media. It was on the evening news and the like. And internally, I thought, what was the difference between the two? Yes. Uh, why this massive response? And I think in no small part, it was because initially there was the potential. There was the plea. There was the call from the police for help. You know, could it be? Is there a possibility that Jill Maher is still alive and so everyone kind of got swept in with the hope that there'd be a rescue and then of course then the profound tragedy of this young woman absolutely in her prime um, uh, whose life had been taken and I I think that in no small part is is part of the uh, distinction uh, between that which will hit the evening news on one evening and that's it and that which would cause an overwhelming uh, community response. Yes. You made the point that the local Baptist church became a real centre of community. Yeah. Which some people might be surprised at that that still can happen. Look, it's not, uh, if some people might be surprised by that, but I'm not surprised at all. Um, I can remember uh, conducting a, a funeral for a gentleman who'd been a champion boxer, and, uh, and he died too early uh, as a result of, uh, of cancer, and it was a fascinating uh, community gathering. Uh, there were a lot of broad-shouldered men with broken noses, uh, or previously broken noses, kind of in the gathering. It was, the, it was a significant gathering of the boxing community. And I remember saying at one point uh, in the service, I said, it's at a time like this when a, when a good mate, someone that we love, has passed away, that we, we think about God and eternity and what happens to us when we die. And there was an audible, spontaneous affirmation from the congregation. It, it actually caught me by surprise. Mm. And while I actually I did think what I was saying was true, the people caught me by surprise by audibly giving an affirmation back to that. You know, yes, we are thinking about these things. And uh, I think that's actually a fairly normal, a fairly common thing. And so with someone like 
Jill's situation, the community emotionally have been drawn in. And then when the bad news kind of breaks at that point in time, then we have a broader community response uh, in a not dissimilar way to what happens when someone a little bit closer to us uh, passes away. Yes. And the broader community asks the deeper question, well, what does happen to me? And people ask the, you know, the profound searching questions like, well, if there's a God there, why did he allow this to happen? You know, if, he, if he's supposed to be loving and powerful, well, how, how come things like this happen to good people? You know, why do good people suffer? And why can, why can criminals you know, do things like this? Uh, to lovely people. And so it does. It touches a pr- profound note inside of people. That was exactly my next question. How do you answer that very challenging question uh, that's not a pat answer? Oh, yeah. Look, uh, it, is, it is the profound uh, question. And there's, there's, no, there's no trite or simple answer. No. But if people are actually prepared to stay with it from a Christian perspective, I think there is uh, a profound point of engagement with this. I, I think the initial response to it is quite counterintuitive. And it is actually it goes back to that core value. The Bible says God is love. And you say, well, that actually doesn't sound like that's the answer at all, because yeah. we're saying if he is loving, you know, why does he let this happen if he's also powerful? But the point being, if in as much as the Bible says he is love, that means he expresses himself relationally. It's the only way that love can actually express itself is relationally. For a relationship to actually take place, there actually has to be volition on the part of all the different players. Otherwise, not love at all. It's manipulation. And so a God who is love and who actually graces us with volition, and that means the capacity to make good decisions as well as bad decisions. Uh, that means the capacity to love also requires the capacity to hate, to accept, to reject, to comply, to not comply, etc. And so we, ended up with, we end up with a world uh, where there are a lot of free agents running around who have the capacity to make the call and even to do evil. So then people say, well, look, that's one thing if he's, we understand because no one wants to have their volitional capacities removed from them. We all want to exercise our will. They say, but why doesn't he intervene? You know, why didn't he intervene in this situation? Yes. And that type of thinking, noble as it is, is also a little flawed because what would we actually expect God to do? Is, are we expecting him to actually step in on every, every evil scenario that's happening globally? Does he become that controlling and that interventionist? It becomes like the divine puppeteer of human affairs, a benevolent dictator, uh, etc. That's just not what he's like. So God actually woos us and, and wins us through a demonstration of his love in Jesus Christ, uh, that he himself has shared in our sufferings, that he was prepared to go all of the way uh, to the cross in Jesus. He was actually prepared to, to die to create the potential for us to be forgiven and one human life at a time renewed and realigned to his will and ways. And so all of the varying alternatives, you know, while it might be a noble aspiration, why didn't he do something? If he's loving and if he's powerful, he should have intervened. But in reality, uh, the fact that he is loved gives us the volition, gives us the opportunity. And uh, outside of him becoming some sort of uh, benevolent dictator, a divine puppeteer, which he is not, and uh, he is more than prepared uh, to allow evil people to do evil things. Uh, hence, can I say, the importance of Judgment Day. And uh, unpopular as that uh, is, but it clearly is a teaching uh, in the Bible that there will be an accountability. And uh, I had someone point out to me just recently that uh, those who are suffering the most in the third world, uh, they don't recoil uh, from the concept of a judgment day, anywhere near like those in more prosperous nations do, which was a provocative thought. 
And ultimately, in all of this, the Christian faith lifts our vision beyond today. Uh, outside of the hope of a resurrection, outside of a hope of a life beyond this life, and it's worth noting, there are so many parts of this life that are beautiful. They're wonderful. I see more love than I do hatred in our broader society. There's so much that's good, but it's also a life that's characterized by suffering. And uh, we do well to have a hope beyond our current circumstance because it does lift our hearts. And in the most troubled times, we have a hope in God for an eternity where he will wipe away every tear and there is no more suffering and no more evil. It's unspeakable joy. Uh, one of my favorite verses from the Bible says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of humanity the good things that God has prepared for those who love him. And I just like to think it's better than I can even imagine. Dale Stevenson, very much appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.